Welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Here to introduce you to the great musicians and music businesses and organizations of Wisconsin. Every week, Wisconsin Music Podcast will be bringing you great information on what's happening in the Wisconsin music world. For our music-loving listeners, we'll bring you music that you haven't even heard of yet from unique and talented artists and hear about their journey so far. You'll either hear live performances of their songs or songs from their selected discography. For our musicians out there wondering what they can do to further their recognition, we'll be calling upon Wisconsin music businesses and organizations to enlighten you on what they're doing to help further your music journey. And now, here's your host, Zach. Hey, Wisconsin. Welcome to the second episode of season two of the Wisconsin Music Podcast. What a week for me and my family. Our 13-year-old dog, Rocky, woke up last Monday with which we thought was a stroke and he went blind. We took him to the vet and we were told it was a type of vertigo. He was put on some medication for nausea and we'll see how it goes, but he seems to be doing good. On the music side, at the high school, I teach instrumental music and recording arts. We had our first pep band performance at the home varsity football game. It was great fun for the kids playing at the game, and they did really well for their first game. We'll just keep working at it, and like every year, we'll all get better at our songs, which leads me to what I like to talk about on today's opening monologue, how to be better at your craft. For me, I teach my students that to get better, you need to practice, but there is a path to practicing that will get you better than just playing the songs a few times each day. I express to them that instead of playing the song, learn your part to your song until you can't make any errors. Focus on the parts that are trouble spots and work it out. And since they can read music, I tell them, let's look at the musical phrase and we're gonna work it backwards. What I tell them to do is to take the last three or four notes of a measure and practice it correctly. The right notes, the right rhythms and articulations. Then add a few more notes before those notes and do the same thing and then put the whole thing, that small phrase together. Then add a few more notes from before and they just work themselves to the beginning of that musical phrase. By the time they're at the beginning, they should be able to play the whole phrase without any errors. And nine times out of 10, they can do it and they feel great about accomplishing that goal. If not, they go back and work it backwards again and that usually does it. Just like everyone, it takes time and not everyone will be able to accomplish it in the same amount of time, but they will get there. I feel that applies to our careers as musicians as well. We need to slow down, work it out, plan it out, take small steps, and eventually you'll get where you want to go. Of course, there'll be ups and downs no matter what you are trying to accomplish, but with persistence and dedication, like I tell my kids, you'll eventually get there. I hope that helps anyone out there that's feeling frustrated with their music goals. And as for today's episode, I highly suggest taking notes as there's a lot of material we're going to cover and I feel it will be great value to you and your career in music. So I hope you enjoyed last episode, last week's episode with 88.9 Radio Milwaukee's program director, Dori Zori. She had a lot of great opportunities for us Wisconsin musicians and hopefully You'll search those out and get to be a part of some of those organizations and events. This week, we have Emily White. Let me talk a little bit about her career. White's career spanned the entertainment industry, carving out a unique path that defines a modern maven. Emily began her journey at Northwestern University in Boston with experiences 
at Powder Finger Promotions, WBCN-FM, Q Division, and Scope Magazine. Upon seeing the Dresden Dolls play on campus, White introduced herself to frontwoman Amanda Palmer, quickly integrating into a core member of the band's team. White and the Dresden Dolls grew up professionally together, beginning at South by Southwest and continued through White's graduation day, in which she did graduate, but didn't walk across the stage due to the band kicking off a three-continent tour with Nine Inch Nails at Coachella. Prior to graduating, White completed work with Boston's legendary promoter Don Law at the Don Law Company, while working deep within the local music scene before becoming a world-class tour manager. An internship at MTV, VH1 UK solidified White's early love for international business and view of a modern global economy. Retiring from tour managing at age 23, including runs with Imogene Heap and festivals ranging from Glastonbury to Fuji Rock, White accepted a position at Madison House Incorporated in New York, working with artists such as The Fury Furnaces, Dinosaur Jr., The Secret Machines, Angelique Kijo, and Taj Mahal, as well as members of The String Cheese Incident and Drive-By Truckers. In 2017, she released her debut book, Interning 101, How-To Guide for Interns in Modern Business. The book is based on the Intern Manifesto Handbook, created by White and is published by Nine Giant Steps Books. How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams is White's second book and the one that we're going to talk a lot about today. It is the number one Amazon bestseller and a course book at countless universities. In 2019, White became an adjunct instructor at New York University's Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music within NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. In 2021, How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams launched as a podcast. Emily brings her best-selling book to life by interviewing hand-picked guests whom she considers experts on each chapter or even the entire book. So... There is a lot of information that we're going to cover in this episode. So make sure you have your notes ready and we'll get to the interview very soon. A couple announcements before we get into that. It's hard to believe that it's the middle of September already and the next wave of holidays are coming up quick. Speaking of holidays coming up soon, if you are a Wisconsin artist and you have holiday songs you want to showcase, please send them in for the holiday music showcase episode that will be airing on December 20th. Please send all your song files, not links, but the song files to the email address of wisconsinmusicpodcast at gmail.com and put winter holiday showcase in the email subject. Wave files are the best, but high quality MP3s work as well. And we know there are Halloween and Thanksgiving based songs out there. And if I receive enough of those, I'll even make an episode for those songs as well. We also have a online store for the Wisconsin Music Podcast t-shirts and hoodies and it's going to be linked on the Wisconsin Music Podcast website for pre-order so you can get them before Thanksgiving. All proceeds go back to the podcast to keep it going. If you order them after the 15th of October I cannot guarantee that they'll arrive before Thanksgiving so order them soon. Well let's get right into the interview with Emily White and talking mostly about her book how to build a sustainable music career and collect all revenue streams. We'll see you on the other side. Thanks a lot, everybody. Welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Emily White is going to talk about all the things that she is involved with. She has two podcasts out, and the one I think we're going to talk about mostly is based around her book called How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. So, Emily, welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Thanks, Zach. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. So for you, 
obviously you're not the typical band that I would ask some of the questions that I have, but let's kind of get what your origin music story is. You know, how did music become part of your part of your life? I think the rule at Summerfest growing up when I was a kid was I could do whatever I wanted all day as long as I went to see music with my parents at night. So yeah, I've, I've just always been a huge music fan. And um, when I realized that working in the music industry was a thing, um, I realized that was a thing that I really wanted to do. So um, yeah, I didn't really know too many people when I started. I mean, I'm from Heartland, Wisconsin, which is uh, in Waukesha County, and my parents' good friends own Heartland Music. Um, but that was kind of it as far as musicians and, and industry people. But I was able to get a swimming scholarship to Northeastern University in Boston, and they have an awesome um, music industry program. So that's where I started interning and um, really getting my my music industry chop. Cool. Do you play any instruments or are you sing or um, I'm classically trained in piano, but I haven't played in years. Okay. Um, I took guitar lessons, but I, um, yeah, I was always way more, I wasn't very talented. Um, so I was always <laughs> more of a, a fan. Gotcha. So I've been listening to your podcast nonstop for the last week and a half here when I had chances. And the last one I got to was with Lauren Ross. And so I got to hear throughout all the way up to that episode, a lot of the stuff that you've been involved with listeners I have no idea what you can do to help them get their music careers off the ground. So how do you want to do this? Do you want to talk about like each chapter a little bit and how that how your company helps them? Or how do you want to take, take this through? Whatever you want, whatever you think is best for your audience. Well, this is your soapbox. So this kind of like it's your whatever you like to talk about and, you know, help. How are you going to help musicians out there? Let's just dive right in. Sure. Um, well, the book and the podcast, I mean, it, it's each step is is important, you know, like each step um, is part of a step-by-step journey from recording to release or, or creation to execution. Um, it's a lot of information that, you know, I caught myself explaining to people over and over again. Um, so I realized it would probably be easier for everyone if I just wrote it down. And then I was sick of taking on national acts at our company and finding money for them, which is like the second half of the book and podcast title. And I realized if that was happening to artists that people had heard of, then, then what about everyone else? So um, no pun intended. I really am an open book on, on the book. That's for sure. Okay. So I don't have the chapters um, right in front of me. So what's the first chapter? The, there's a foreword where I interview Zoe Keating because she's the only musician I've ever met that doesn't need to read the book. And that kind of <laughs> takes um, that kind of takes the listener and reader through through the book, through Zoe's career. And then chapter one is get your art together. And then that was um, for that episode on the podcast. We had Justin Vernon from Bona Bear. So what do you mean by get your art together? You know, because some people think do you mean like album art or do you actually mean the mm-hmm. music that they're creating? So what exactly are you talking about? Yeah. So chapter one is called Get Your Art Together. And I almost hesitated on having this chapter because it it seemed very obvious to me. Um, But I teach at NYU and um, I had some students who told me that was like their biggest takeaway from the class and the book was was Get Your Art Together. So to answer your question, it's, it's when you know in your heart and soul and spirit when you are ready to record um, and when you are ready to share your music uh, with the world. And I feel like that's where it should really come from instead of kind of forcing it or going out and, you know, going to every conference, reading every book, checking out every podcast and learning like promotion, but not, you know, like not having music that 
uh, speaks to your heart and soul because I feel like that's what truly connects with people. So I'm constantly reminding, you know, musicians, people in my life or whatever, sometimes get ahead of themselves. And I, I understand that can be really natural, but it's like chapter one, chapter one, get, get your art together. So um, I hope, hope that answers your question. Yeah. And so people that are listening to this are going, okay, what would be like maybe the top three things they need to focus on when they're getting their art together? I, you know, this one's not really checklist based because they, they have to tell me it, it, it's, you know, they, they know in their intuition when they are, are ripe and, and ready to record and, and when the music's in a place where, you know, it's ready to, um, you know, where you're ready to share it with the world, because, you know, in pre pandemic times, I would have, you know, artists coming up to me all the time at conferences, wanting to share their music and, but saying like, but I have to work on my vocals or I need to get a new drummer or, um, and I get that they're like excited to share it with an industry person or whatever, but you know, th that's what I'm talking about is instead of trying to force it, it's like, well, get, then get your vocals together, then get that right drummer, you know, so get your art together instead of just forcing it and, you know, hoping that it'll work out. Perfect. I think that's exactly what I was trying to allude to because I think a lot of younger musicians I and mean, even some seasoned ones, they get excited about their project and they kind of get blindsided or they have the blinders on and they're not sure exactly are they ready or should I change this or should I change that? Or, but no, well, you said, yeah, that's perfect. So which leads okay. us to the second chapter, which is pre-recording marketing foundation, email list, text message club, and social media. And so what I'm talking about there is um, before you hit the studio, it's really important that you set up your email list, you set up your text message club. I mean, most artists are set up on, you know, social media, but if it's a new project or something, you know, get your handles together and everything because you don't want to like give birth to your masterpiece and then be like, oh my gosh, I have to set all this stuff up. So get that stuff in place also so you can share and engage with your audience, um, which, which you really should. But even if that sounds like, I was going to say share and engage with your audience as you're recording. Um, but even if that sounds like torture, you know, it could just be a photo of a drum kit or something to tease, you know, that you're in the studio and, and recording. So yeah, so you know, get those, um, get your marketing platforms in place before you hit the studio. So you're not scrambling, um, when you're excited to share your music with the world. Absolutely. And then we get into the third chapter, which talks about, I believe it's get your business affairs together and fair compensation. So in that I'm going over, you know, making sure, you know, so I miss, you know, I'm assuming that the artists, uh, you know, that the artists wrote their songs that, you know, the artist is recording and they wrote their songs. So, you know, if you're hiring players, it's really important that they sign a work for hire agreement that states that you own the master recording. I mean, I know everybody's doing favors for one, one another and it's all good until something blows up that it's a total disaster. So that's, that's very basic and an industry standard. Um, I break that down in the book and podcast talking about songwriting splits. I mean, just talking about that. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, that's like yes. the main thing I'm trying to get across is, is, you know, like if you wrote all the songs, before you go into the studio, get coffee with everyone and be like, hey, I wrote this material. If you feel like you contribute, you know, to the songwriting process when we're in the studio at, at any point, you have to bring it up then, which nobody ever wants to do. And I get or immediately after the session, not months later when it's a total disaster and then there's resentment and, you know, nobody likes that. So, right. Yeah, I just go over, you know, some basic modern business affairs 
um, you know, talking about how to compensate players, how to compensate your producer, how to get creative if you truly don't have a cash budget, maybe awarding them, you know, some more points on the master side. So, um, yeah. So for that, um, we have Don, Donald S. Passman on the podcast, um, and he wrote um, All You Need to Know About the Music Business and is the attorney to Taylor Swift, Adele, right. Stevie Wonder, and many more. Yeah, that's also a great book, I think, for musicians to get It's as a reference book. You know, they don't have to read it, you know, page one to page, what, however many pages that thing is almost like a Bible, but it's a good reference book that I think. For sure. So have you ever had any things blow up with your clients in the past that forgot to do that, where they talked to their session musicians and they for, or forgot to talk to them and then months or years later, it just backfired on them? Let's see. I mean, I, I've certainly heard of a few examples. Um, Zoe Keating is one. Um, Kala is a Wisconsin artist who mentioned this to me. You know, artists who have basically signed a work for hire, but were composing for something. Yeah. So I think, you know, just being, just understanding that, right? Like, am I, am I being hired to play the cello or am I being hired to um, write a cello part is super important. Yep. Um, yeah, I've definitely walked into album situations while they're being recorded halfway through and, you know, seen producers demanding, you know, 50%, you know, like songwriting on songs they didn't write on and, um, master, you know, master ownership that, uh, just makes no sense. So, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of this stuff is really basic and, you know, when I lay it out for people, when I explain it to people, it's like a light bulb moment moment, because instead, like I said, they were trading favors to have players come in and play in the studio, but now they're like, Oh, here's the work for work for hire. And I've actually heard from some Wisconsin musicians that are now, now know that and can, you know, give the work for hire. Here's the payment. And other Wisconsin musicians are thanking them because <laughs> there's some professionalism. <laughs> some professionalism around yes. that. Not to say that the other people aren't professional. They just, they just don't know. Right. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to help, you know, help with, with this book and podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then is the next chapter, if I'm following this right, is how to record with or without a budget. Is that the next one? Yes. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the most for up and coming musicians. That's probably going to be another large chapter for them to really dive into. So why don't you kind of explain that a little bit for them? Definitely. So, you know, it's interesting because in speaking engagements, I often skip that one over because I, I feel like a lot of people, you know, have have it figured out with with their home studio. But all I'm saying there is, you know, if, if you're 11 years old and super new to this, you know, if you have a smartphone, if you have access to a computer, like you can record, which is which is amazing. Um, I, I co-wrote that chapter with my friend Bobby Lord. Um, Bobby's originally from Chicago and you know, he's, he's, uh, made music with members of Wilco and with Brennan Benson from the Rack and Tours, but he's also done stuff really DIY and on the cheap and is always composing music for like a podcast network he, he works at. So I felt like Bobby really straddled, you know, total DIY on your own and, and super world-class. So basically we go through the recording process and we're like, okay, here's a free option or a cheap option. Here's your higher end option. Yeah, and it's been cool to to interview um, a few musicians on, on that chapter. We had um, Pat Sandstone from Wilco, who was great on that episode. Um, we also had Image and Heap talking about that. So, and and you know, those are, those are world class artists, no yep. doubt. But they don't always use the most expensive options, which is nice to hear as well. So yeah, that's a 
that's one thing is like it doesn't matter what you're doing because it's what would they say the song is king right i mean it, as long as it doesn't sound like it was made on a telephone from 75 years ago people are gonna probably at least know what the song is about and can feel the emotion from the artist as long as it's done correctly yeah a hundred percent um I mean, obviously, if something is like super low resolution and compressed and a non-audio file like me can probably tell that. But um, yeah, I mean, there's there's so much happening in, in modern recording. It's, it's really exciting. And, and, you know, you can make a world class song at home or, you know, I mean, if, if you want to go into a traditional studio, you can do that. Um, but I mean, even people at like the most high end studios in the world will be the first to say the more you can learn on your own in recording, the more it's going to help you later on in the process. Absolutely. That goes with almost anything these days. As long as you know what, you know, a good grasp of what you're doing before you walk into putting down thousands of dollars to get your final product done, it's going to be better for you. Exactly. So then we go on to the next chapter, I think is talking about PROs. Am I correct on that? Um, chapter five is music publishing isn't scary or confusing. Okay. Plus how to land a sync placement. But PRO stuff is in there for sure. Okay. Actually, you mentioned that because I have a PRO episode of the podcast, which I put in there because I was meeting too many students and, you know, as, and, and even I was going to say established artists who weren't signed up for a P who were like scared to sign up for a performing rights organization, which in the U S is primarily ASCAP and BMI. Yeah. So students weren't signed up, um, legitimate artists that were landing sync places placements and stuff didn't sign up till like a few years ago, but they've been releasing music for a super long time. And I was really surprised to hear that because in, in my career, and maybe I'm just dating myself and haven't been paying attention enough recently, but I feel like at like music conferences and stuff, when I was first starting out, like ASCAP would be everywhere, right? Like BMI would be like, sign up. And, and I feel like that was like one of the first things we learned that you learn in like a music business program too. So I was really surprised to hear that there were students and musicians who were scared of PROs, thought it was something to take advantage of them. Um, but if you are a songwriter, go sign up for your PRO because otherwise you're most likely missing out on money. Yeah. I mean, 20 years ago, my, I come from a musical family. When we made our album in the early 2000s, uh, let's not do that. that they're just scam artists. They're just going to take your money and you're not going to get anything from it. So that was what I thought was true. So I think maybe that's what a lot of people think is that PROs are, they're just there to take your money and they're not going to help you out. So what kind of information can you give to kind of declassify that? Yeah, I think the only barrier for entry that I prob probably take for granted on this one more than others is there is, and I should have this memorized, but I don't, like a $50 fee or something to join. So again, maybe that's intimidating to people, but um, yeah, otherwise it's, it's, literally government regulated royalty collections <laughs> so there right. isn't really anything to be taken advantage of there it's you know if if your songs are being you know used anywhere in a in a public setting then 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 you're owed money so sign up now because like i said there's a wisconsin artist that had been landing sync placements for well over a decade it only signed up for ASCAP like two years ago um so he's out on a lot of money because if you don't claim that within i believe two years it goes into what they call the black box of gotcha. just, you know unknown royalties so yeah i mean there's you're hurting yourself if you're not if you're a songwriter and not signed up for a performing rights organization so does that money still get collected and put in that black box or it just doesn't get collected at all it gets collected i'm sure it goes to like as i mean i don't mean this to be obnoxious but probably goes to like ascap's office space or something you know or i 
I mean, I should research that, but it definitely doesn't go to the, it just basically gets like liquidated. Gotcha. Okay. And so the next chapter would talk about what would be the next chapter then? Well, so this chapter is actually, um, music publishing isn't scary or confusing plus how to land a sync placement. So of course I did have to, you know, define a PRO and, and have people sign up, but you know, the number one missing revenue stream I tend to see is, you know, artists, they, well, first they sign up for their PRO, right? And so when you sign up for ASCAP or BMI, as many people know, there's a writer's share and there's a publisher's share. Yeah. Song, even if you wrote hundred percent of the song and that understandably is super confusing for musicians because then they think, oh, great. Then my publishing is collected on. I own my publishing. I'm good to go. Well, PROs are only one, like, like publishing has sub revenue streams that I don't expect anyone to memorize. That's kind of like the point of this, you know, podcast and book, but, right. um, but performing rights, rights organizations are just one of them. So if you are just signed up for your PRO and your music is being sold, streamed, covered, any, all of the above syncs, whatever, again, you are missing out on money. And, you know, part of this is a shift, you know, in, into the modern era for sure. You know, back in the day, you used to have to sign with a, a music publisher. And, and actually, I should define music publishing quickly. Um, music publishing is just the legal exploitation and collection of your songwriting. So it's the exact same thing that a record company is supposed to do for you on the master recording side, which is which is quite simple, right? Yeah, like right. walking on the street, know what a record company does. But if you ask, you know, most musicians what a music publisher does, they're going to be terrified or run to the hills or what I saw it. I was speaking at a conference in Madison presenting on the book basically. And I said, who here can tell me what music publishing is? And no one said, you know, this crowd of musicians said nothing. And then finally someone's like the entire panel before you was on music publishing. So they just <laughs> sat for 60 minutes and listened to music publishing, but, but couldn't define it. And now I hear, you know, artists I work with, working with being like, okay, publishing is songwriting. I'm like, yeah, pretty much. Right. And, right. and collecting on those royalties. So if you are not signed up or sorry, if you are just signed up for your PRO, um, like I said, so back in the day you have, you used to have to sign with the music publisher. Um, but now that's been democratized, um, similar to how it has on the distribution end. Right. So back in the day, you used to have to sign with a label to record, manufacture and distribute. Right. Now, obviously you and I could record a song. We could distribute worldwide via CD, baby, distrokid, whatever. Song Trust was the first to do that on the music publishing side. Um, so I'm a huge Song Trust advocate. They do sponsor my podcast now, but I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't an advocate before that. Um, because it's you know founded by the principles of downtown music publishing. You have the same music publishing collection systems um that downtown uses, which you know they work with Imogen and John Lennon's catalog and a lot of amazing things. So yeah, I, I love Song Trust. You can get out of it easily if you want, you own all your rights and I, re I, I really encourage song trust over, I mean, everybody does this and I understand why. <laughs> um, other than ticking the publishing administration boxes when you are distributing your music through um, TuneCore and CD Baby and all that. And yes, I know that song trust is the back end for CD Baby's publishing administration, but um, it's really nice to have publishing all in one place instead of, oh, TuneCore publishes one album. Okay you know, um, DistroKit or, um, you know, CD Baby does another, Song Trust does some, other. it's like, you're just making your life unnecessarily complicated. Just put your whole, 
you know, publishing catalog into Song Trust. And then if you want to go move on and do a publishing deal, you, you can do that in it. And then everything's all in one place. But long story short, if you're just signed up for ASCAP and BMI and you are not signed up for Song Trust, um, then you are missing money. Okay. If you are a song. For PROs, like you said, for ASCAP and BMI, you should sign up just for one, but not both, right? Yeah. And um, you can't sign up for both. Um, that's something I have in the book that my attorney thought was confusing that I had in the book, but I've just seen that happen too many times where, you know, like you are one songwriter. So even if you start a new project or a new artist name or whatever, you are still that songwriter. So don't like, you know, okay, my solo stuff's with ASCAP, but I'm starting a new, you know, a duo or something. So that's going to be with BMI. It's going to bounce you out of the system anyway. But again, and, and also like, it's, it's difficult to change PROs and there's no real reason to. So just pick one and go with it. You, you know, again, these things, the PROs are regulated by the government. ASCAP and BMI are legally, like basically exactly the same. Yes, there are some tiny little nuances. But none, none of these things are going to make, make or break your career. However, I say throughout the book with a lot of this stuff, if you happen to know a human at one of these places, if you, if you have a contact contacted ASCAP, that's good enough for me. Go with them over BMI <laughs> or vice versa or whatever, because then you have a, a human, you know, relationship there. Great. And then once you're you have that taken care of, the next chapter talks about. Oh, and well, I should cover the second half of that real, real quick. How how to land a sync placement with right. this episode you're just listening to with Lauren. Yes. So um, that was great. Great interview. Great interview. Thank you. Yeah, it was a fun one. Um, yeah, so that chapter was based on an article I wrote years ago called How to Land a Sync Placement that um, we still get emails about. So it really just lays out like the best practices, you know, make instrumentals, clean versions, um, you know, have lyrics ready to go um, to put yourself in the best possible position um, to land sync. So, so that's that chapter. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So listeners out there, make sure you read, get her book. It's on most bookstores and probably Audible, too. I believe it's on as well. I don't think so. Just the, well, just the podcast is. Oh, just the podcast. Okay. Audio book soon. Yeah. Okay. Well, then you're going to have to read, which is good anyways. It's probably better to read than to listen to it. I um I don't know if you know Ryan Holman in Milwaukee. He's a music promoter. He was like, oh, I'll just wait till the podcast is out. And now, like, multiple people have told me, like, he doesn't go anywhere without the book. And he's it's, like, highlighted and stuff. But then my mom, who reads the book a week, has not read the book but loves the podcast. So... <laughs> There and what the information is there in whatever form is, is best for people. Well, not audiobook, but coming soon. Oh, cool. Diamond Dave Photography, the photography that supports local music in Wisconsin and is ready to work with your band or any solo artist on your next promo pictures or band show. To contact Diamond Dave and see previous work, check out Diamond Dave Photography on Facebook and Instagram. Wisconsin Music Podcast is also brought to you by ZTF Studio. ZTF Studio recording and mixing services, specializing in singles, demos, EPs, and LP projects for the last 20 years in southeastern Wisconsin, doing jazz, rock, funk, country, indie, and more. ZTF Studio brings success to your recording project. All right, back to the interview. All right, so next chapter is... I believe that is setting up your release and distribution plan. Okay. And so, and that's, that's three episodes on the podcast because I view that through, well, I think that's a three-step process. So start by release. I mean, the A plus version to me is releasing music on your website because that's going to be your highest profit margin. You're going to get all the data and know who your fans are, which is really like the Cliff Notes version of, of building a sustainable music career. 
You can do that through a Squarespace website. You know, you know, you want to be driving traffic to yourself. If if that sounds like torture, you should be on Bandcamp either way. That's going to be your second highest profit margin. And again, you're going to be you're going to be able to collect the data of the fans who are supporting you. So again, if if the website thing is torture, you can embed your you can embed your Bandcamp into your website. You know, very seamlessly. And then from there, you know, distribute through, you know, what are called the DSPs, the digital service providers. So Spotify, Apple Music, all that stuff. And even what I just explained was a lot like a fairly long window of a release, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and it it starts even before then. Um, It starts with a pre-order. It starts with Patreon, right? Like start monetizing your music before it's even out. Then when it's ready, and you can do that through your website as well, pre-orders and all that good stuff. Yeah, so launch it on your website, then push Bandcamp. Then as it pops up on DSPs, you can post like, oh, it's on Spotify. Okay, now it's on Apple Music. It, it gives you a new reason to keep sharing your music without saying, I mean, you are saying the same thing over and over, but you aren't, which is nice. So yeah, I think it's really important to think about distribution and not just like, okay, it's on Spotify. You know, it's just like, <laughs> you're not doing yourself a favor there. So just... Yeah, start with your site, then push Bandcamp, then push the individual DSPs. Excellent. So after those three podcasts, then you start talking about... Let's see. I think um, I do have the book next to me, but I, I haven't looked yet. <laughs> so I keep remember. <laughs> keep, yeah, let's see if I can get it. Um, I think chapter seven is how to market with or without a budget. Okay. And so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. So that one, you know, I kind of get like... Up front, if you have a small budget and you think you're going to spend on PR or something, um, you know, on, on press, on public, on a publicist, um, I talk about, you know, what you should be spending. I mean, I, the fact that I've had multiple publicist friends read this who love it, like, yeah, like blows my mind because I'm like, but did you read the chapter on PR? So, yeah, I mean, you want to get that price as low as possible if you can get it down to like 1500 a month. But again, I'm just talking about the people that that have budgets. I'm not even saying it's, it's totally worth it um, because there's so much you can do on your own. So yeah, so it's taking care of each fan, um, you know, creating that awareness for your music, collecting data of tastemakers, podcasters, you know, journalists who are writing about you, building up that database. Like I said, I definitely give the landscape of, of PR, how to do your own PR, what PR even means. I mean, I can't believe I'm even like talking about that. <laughs> Because, you know, the return on investment or ROI for getting a publicist is very, very small. But sometimes having that, you know, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel link or Pitchfork or whatever it is, is a really nice tool to have, right? Like it can help you with sync pitching. It can help you with booking agents. So as a manager, that's what I've kind of always used press for. Also like being efficient in how you post it, right? So you know, I got a piece of press, like a business piece of press yesterday. Uh, I, I think it's chance to post today, actually. But, you know, the first day I will post, and this goes for how everybody should be posting press. Yeah. The first day, I post the link everywhere and tag the outlet and tag the journalist. Like, thanks so much to She Said So for, you know, featuring my book and blah, 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 blah. The next day, I will just retweet their original post and share their original post. Um, the third day, if it's a big enough piece of press and other people have, you know, posted about it, I'll share that. So again, just instead of just getting a press in and popping it up on social media and being done, there's a strategy to do that to be really effective. Um, I also give the landscape 
as best I can, I say that because it's kind of a beast of American radio, what college radio is, what, you know, what AAA radio is, what commercial radio is, you know, how to go about that. But again, it's just all about collecting as much data as possible. If there are people playing you and you have their email addresses start, you know, for all this stuff, I tell artists to start what I call a fancy friends spreadsheet and just start popping these email addresses into a Google spreadsheet. And then every time you have a release, you have that database of tastemakers, radio people, PR, you know, press folks, whatever that support you instead of being like, oh, got to pony up a few thousand more dollars so that publicists can, you know, reach out to Fiat at the Journal Sentinel or whatever. Fantastic. Great advice so far. I mean, th- ladies and gentlemen, you need to get this book if you are wanting to keep, like the title says, How to Build a Sustainable Music Career. And what's the byline? I, I keep forgetting what the byline is. <laughs> and collect all revenue stream. Which is very, very important. Yes. You need to collect your revenue for the art. Otherwise, you can't create art for nothing, unfortunately. We can't live in a society like that quite yet. So what's the next chapter about? I might have to cheat and look. Okay. Um, <laughs> chapter eight might be, um, I think it's your live strategy and efficient touring. And I used to be a tour manager. So this is the world I know really, really well. So we go through, I mean, it was written pre-pandemic times, but obviously, you know, things are returning. So, you know, just the basics of booking a show, how to promote a show, regional touring, national touring, international touring, you know, best practices with live merch, um, how to maximize, you know, live revenue streams, how to keep an eye on expenses. So, yeah, that's, um, that's yeah, lots of information in there from my touring days. I do touch on webcasting anyway in there. Um, so that is covered, but um, we get a little more into that in the in the podcast because obviously that space has exploded throughout yeah, the pandemic. Definitely. And then we move on to the I might have to cheat. Oh, merch recon. Yeah. So this is just yeah, recap of merch again, getting creative, what works, you know, stuff that I probably take for granted, but you know, making sure the artist is you know, signing after each shows, hanging out by the merch table, um, that you have a credit card reader, like a square reader. And yeah, like I said, just, just getting super creative, not just like, okay, let's order some t-shirts. And cause that's what people have always done. This episode isn't out yet, but I just had an artist named Julia Nunes on the podcast and she, I mean, she crushes it at merch. And I remember at one show, I saw her before the show, um, in the dressing room making flower crowns. I thought maybe just for her and her band, but then she made 20 more and then she sold those at the merch table. And of course they sold out. She also always figures out like a selfie wall for people. So there's like a huge line, you know, where everybody can get their selfie. Also during the pandemic, uh, Julia's merch company, she Julia's managed by my company. I, I'm not her point manager, but um, the merch, her merch company came to us and was like, we have all these custom Julia Noons ukuleles. Like, can we do something about this? And hmm. um, so we ran a flash sale and sold out of like a lot of ukuleles. Very, and I think they were originally priced at like 200 and we sold them for a hundred. <laughs> so it was still like a hundred <laughs> item that was just sitting in the warehouse. And then suddenly Julia made a bunch of money. So we tried to get creative uh, with that in general. It's, it's like, she was, I think she even said, she was like, what's the lowest selling shirt? Send me that. I'll put it on, you know, I'll cut it up. I'll wear, wear it on Instagram. And and again, just pushing your online store because nobody knows about it unless you share it, let alone doing like, you know, 4th of July sales and holiday sales and, and all that stuff to remind people that it's there. Yes, absolutely. And since 
you know, we're all creatives, it should be easy to hopefully to kind of think outside the box a little bit and find something that you think your fans would want to have to remember their experience of your concert or whatever, you know, that they like about you. 100%. Absolutely. And then what do you go on to in the book? I think then it's revenue stream checklist. Okay. So, you know, in this chapter, I literally have a, a, a public Google spreadsheet that's in the book where when I, when I created it, I was like, is anyone going to do this? <laughs> but the fact that I've heard from musicians who like love the spreadsheet and love this chapter, I'm like, okay, if it helps one person, I'm, I'm happy. But basically, um, yeah, I, I create a spreadsheet where, you know, you can plug in all your revenue streams and hopefully it does one of two things. One, hopefully it can help you project your monthly and annual income. So it feels like a job in a good way, in like a real way. Um, and two, if there is a blank column, you are missing money. So I tried to make that as simple as possible. And again, I I started that out of necessity for a couple of national acts we took on a few years ago. Um, one was one that we took on um, was in a lot of debt. So I needed to show her, like, okay, this is you know, you're she was she was paying pretty high rent in New York City. So yeah. I was like, okay, like th- this is reality for you. Um, and, and then, yeah, with both of them, there were holes in the spreadsheet. And so it was easy to just create the spreadsheet, look at it and be like, oh, you're missing X, Y, and D. So let's go get that for you. Gotcha. Cool. How many chapters are in this book? <laughs> There's only like two more. Okay. So what would be chapter 11? Um, repeat and grow. So everything you just did, you know, like time to start it all over, right? Like time to start songwriting, time to start thinking about chapter one, get your art together you know, when you're ripe, when you're ready to record, record, and then you repeat that process. And hopefully each time you get better at it, you know, like school, like, okay, now I, I'm reviewing my notes for the semester. Then maybe you understand it better next time. Then maybe you can share this information with someone, right? Like, like you can teach it. So yeah, so repeat and grow. And, and then the final chapter, yeah, sorry. No, be- um, exactly what I was going <laughs> to say. And then the final chapter is um, when, uh, let's see, when do I need an attorney, business manager, or manager defining an artist's traditional team? And something that I find really interesting about this chapter is when I interviewed Don Paxman for my podcast, I was like, oh, I should reread his book before I do that. And my last chapter is his first chapter. Okay. So I feel like you can do all this stuff on your own and build yourself up. Um, and then Don's book is such, I mean, I, I, I definitely have like information, like if, you know, on publishing deals, indie labels, major labels, all that stuff, but do all this stuff on your own. And then, you know, like Don's book is a great reference. I mean, again, if you're signing a major label or an indie label, like, please get an attorney. Don't yes. just like Don's book as, right. as a reference. But um, yeah, I just find that really interesting. And um, it's been Super fascinating to interview different artists and, and hear what their team members are. You know, everyone has a different situation that that works for them. But um, really, like, like if you want team members, the best way to get them is to build yourself up on your own. And I'm on panels all the time saying that and the team members are, are nodding yes. Um, because, yeah, this information is out there. So they expect you to be, you know, doing a lot of it on your own. At the same time, I see orders of the book of, of this book all the time from industry folks. So they're figuring out this stuff too. 
Yep. Yeah. So there's no right or wrong way. I I, I just, I see too many artists. I've, I've seen plenty from Wisconsin that get the dream team and then nothing happens. And so I guess, you know, what I'm trying to say is if you even like, you know, not just if you want a team, I mean, I hear from artists if they want to be signed to a major or signed or whatever, whatever. You have to do all this stuff if you want those things, because that's how you build yourself up to get it. Yeah. Uh, you have to do all this stuff if you have those things, because those people can come and go and deals change and you never know what's going to happen. And of course, if you don't care about any of those things, you, you need to do this stuff as well. So you, you have to do this stuff <laughs> no matter what your path is. Yeah. Tell me if I'm wrong on this, but I always kind of think of it as a band or a solo artist, whatever, you're an entrepreneur. This is your business off stage. You have to keep it healthy. Otherwise it's going to die. Yeah, that's right. And again, hopefully, hopefully I break it down in a way that that's simple and straightforward because I, I, you know, outside of my personal experiences, information in the book and podcast is all out there. I've just never seen it put in order. Yeah creation to execution or recording to release. And the music industry was set up decades ago, like in the 1950s to confuse artists. So if you are inheriting information that was meant to be confusing, but, and you're receiving that information out of order, that is really difficult to learn, right? Like that's difficult for the educator. That's difficult for the student. So I tried to lay it out in a simple and streamlined way um that hopefully um is supportive to people and listening to the podcast i think you've done a fantastic job in doing that so i think this book is and having the podcast is going to be very helpful for everyone out there that's really serious about taking their music career to the next level awesome i really appreciate that doc you also have another podcast out there correct yeah that one's done um that's based on my first book interning 101 what's that about it's literally a how-to guide for interns. So I wrote for our company what I called the intern manifesto because I felt like I was explaining a lot of basics over and over to students. And I just felt like, okay, if I write all this stuff down, then you can reference that. Maybe we can work on higher level things, which is always what they want. And that's great for us. And I had a couple of great interns one summer. And I said, if I turn this into a um, how-to guide for you and your classmates would this be helpful and it was like a resounding unanimous yes um so that was my first book and then a podcast network asked me to to do a podcast based on it which was such a great idea that I never would have thought of so um I mean I you know anyone who releases a book should put out a podcast like it and and I know more and more musicians have podcasts I think that is such a great idea so um yeah so that one is done um but I know there's some universities using the podcast you know to accompany book because it's a, it's a textbook a bunch of places so yeah you know that's interesting too because I tried to write interning 101 I mean obviously it speaks to like you know a very music industry path and entertainment industry and stuff but I tried to make it fairly broad but at the same time like that's a pretty narrow age range roughly yeah whereas the second book I feel you know is so niche right like it's for musicians mm -hmm. but there's 12 year old musicians there's 80 year old musicians <laughs> so it's just it's, it's interesting excellent what do you have in the future on the horizon that you're working on well i'm the founder of the hashtag i voted festival where we produced the largest digital concert in history that took place on election night 2020 and fans rsvp'd 
to access the election night stream with a selfie at home with their blank and unmarked ballot or from outside their polling place. We started for the 2018 midterms where fans could get into venues by showing a selfie from outside their polling place. So um, we're already working on the 2022 election where we're planning hashtag I voted festival 2022. Um, it's going to be a hybrid model where um, you can get into a venue on election night if you show a selfie from outside your polling place. And then we're going to webcast all the shows where available into an online festival to make sure we reach as many uh, potential voters as possible. So that's very much my life right now. Um, <laughs> the podcast, the book. And then we do have a few clients in the Olympic swimming space because my parents are swimming coaches. My grandfather was a swimming coach. So I'm a little extra busier than usual with the Olympics coming up in a few weeks. Gotcha. Cool. As I'm wrapping this up, you have given a lot of information already, but uh, maybe we could get a little bit more on outside the podcast and the book. This is one of the questions I asked is like the local scene attitude. So obviously you've been around the local scene in your area and probably Wisconsin too. But what do you think some of the positives that you've seen in the local scene? That is such a great question. Well, the positives are what you make it, right? I thought you were going to ask something different and maybe you have a follow-up on that. But yeah, I, I think music scenes are are what you make it. I think music scenes in general, whether it's, you know, Milwaukee, Chicago, Boston, New York, Nashville, like those are the ones I, I know LA a little bit. Those are the ones I tend to know the best. I think they can be fairly supportive. I kind of, I almost hesitate on saying that, but for the most part, right? Like, People are putting shows together. They're asking each other to, to open. They're sharing resources. They're helping each other out. So I think a music scene is, is what you make it. Um, and that goes for the flip side, which, you know, maybe was, you know, your follow-up question. Yep. I, well, go ahead and ask what, you know, not to, not to make assumptions, but what's your fault? No, basically what I say is let's flip the coin over. And what do you think is the struggles in the local scene that needs support to help turn it from a struggle to a positive, basically? Well, it can definitely start with attitude and perspective, right? And I, I cover that in the book. That's actually probably at the beginning of the marketing chapter, just like, you know, I think I, I opened by saying a note on attitude. And <laughs> it's, not, it's not really about music scenes, but it kind of is. Because in that, I'm saying like, okay, you know, if you have such FOMO, such fear of missing out that you can't handle it, you're seeing what these other musicians are doing, then reach out, you know, I mean, you should focus on yourself to build it up, but if you truly can't handle it, like, you know, you couldn't really reach out in the pre-digital era. So reach out and be like, Oh, how did you get that song premiere or whatever? And maybe they have FOMO for you and they want to know like how you got that show or whatever. Right. But I think like the, the, the main thing I see that I wanted to spell is like, I, I mean, maybe I just hear it. Cause like my parents live in Milwaukee, but I, I hear it everywhere. You know, people will be like, oh, like, you know, it's Milwaukee scene or I, I'm not articulating that very well, but um, people love to blame the scene. And I don't mean in Milwaukee. I mean, in any scene, right? because I hear people in Milwaukee, like blaming the scene. And then I hear people in Chicago blaming the scene. And they're like, oh, well, we're not New York or L.A. I'm like, you guys have Pitchfork and Lollapalooza and Onion. And Milwaukee's amazing. Milwaukee has a time going on. We have Summerfest. We have Radio Milwaukee. Like there's. We have amazing, you know, the Pap Cedar group, we have yep. like amazing promoters, amazing venues. You know, I, I went to college in Boston. People love to, com to complain about the Boston music scene. <laughs> I, I love the Boston music scene. Like, that's where I really grew up professionally. I had a great experience there. You know, New York can be super hit or miss. It, you know, I see both points. It's 
so expensive to live here, but there's definitely like a thriving DIY art scene, like no doubt. So um, yeah, long story short, like do not blame the scene. (laughs) You can have a career from anywhere. And I just, I love what Justin Vernon and his management have done, you know, like building an empire in Eau Claire, you know, his management is in Minneapolis. I mean, you can have a powerhouse career from anywhere. Yeah. Um, I remember being in the UK and meeting with uh, Rob Chalice, who's a booking agent there and he's Bonavere's agent. And maybe like the second album, yeah, it must've been the second album was coming out, the second Bonavere album. And he was like, I'm, I can't do an English accent, but he was like, I'm going to Northern Wisconsin. He was like, I'm thinking, <laughs> connections, you have to get there, you know, get there from London or whatever. But right. um that's great. You know what I mean? Like, and so it's not the scene, create your own scene and share the knowledge and spread the love. And again, if you truly can't handle that FOMO, just reach out and see how that they got that stuff and make a new friend and colleague. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the other questions I ask is about work life balance. Um, How are you able, are you able to work that really well? Or do you find a lot of struggle with that? I, I think, I think I've, on one hand, I think I've struggled with it, but on the other, like, you know, I think as a kid growing up in the eighties and nineties, I would always hear about like, I would hear adults talking about how much they didn't like work. Right. They mm-hmm. didn't, they didn't, like their job. my parents like, like their jobs, they're some coaches, but um, yeah. So I think I just always wanted a fun job. I mean, it started really basic. I just wanted a job where I could listen to music all day and like sleep in and like <laughs> shows at night. But I love the people I work with, which is so important. And, and I always have, and I just have like, the best memories and the best experiences, but you know, we are kind of like team mental health at my company. Um, so I don't know, maybe that's counterintuitive to answer your work life question that I'm like, well, my company is really good at, at mental health, but, um, I, I mean, I love to exercise. I practice yoga every day. I try to swim every day. I, I have a great, you know, personal partner. I love my friends. Um, I'm close with my parents. So yeah, stuff like that. Fantastic. Do you work with independent artists still, or is that not in your wheelhouse anymore? That's a good question. Our company certainly does. I'm not doing any artist management right now. Do consulting from time to time. Sometimes it's an hour with me. I mean, those are available. Those packages are available on my website. Um, sometimes it's, it's a few months with, with our company. So it's just... Just, or if or if you're Urge Overkill, we've been consulting on <laughs> Urge since 2009. So... Just totally depend. But yeah, so it's, I'm not doing, I'm not working with a ton of artists right now, but I also feel very plugged in and very connected, you know, like I, whether it's like mentoring managers on our team or just, you know, artists I'm, I'm friends with or that are a part of my life. But yeah, I I am definitely focused a little bit more on I voted and then sharing this in from, you know, the book and the podcast with as many people as possible instead of just helping, you know, a handful of individual artists. Right. And where should an artist be when they contact your company? Where should they be in their career, you think? Oh, um, they can be at any level. You know, we have three criteria. I mean, this is this is management that I'm talking about, which right. is like marriage. So it's very rare we, we take anyone on for management. But overall, you know, like we have to love the music. That's the first prior cri- criteria. Second, you know, we don't want to care more than you do. So I think bigger picture... You know, if you are looking to build a team, make sure you are, you know, active on social media, right? Don't like send your music and then someone goes and checks out your Facebook and it hasn't been updated since February or whatever. That's what I mean about like, well, why should they care more than you do? 
And then number three is just the classic uh, no asshole rule. Perfect. So, yeah. And there's plenty of people like no matter the behavior that, you know, there's plenty of managers that will take on whoever, no matter the behavior. But I think that's where quality of life and, and work balance come, comes in for us. But um, yeah, I mean, I've taken on interns before, you know, who are really talented. So yeah, it doesn't, doesn't matter. I mean, we did, I think we only took one, like one, well, for management, we took one cold email and, you know, we're really upfront that managers take 15%. And then as soon as we sent that invoice, they're like, oh, we can't afford that. <laughs> so even <laughs> I feel bad because even like the one artist that we're like, oh, wow, this music's so good. Let's do this. Like they, you know, didn't work. So yeah, gotcha. As we wrap this up, what's on your playlist right now? Artists that you're listening to that you feel maybe deserve some recognition that isn't getting enough of it yet? I mean, I'm really lame. I listen to like classical music a lot during the day. Um, I really love um, the Milwaukee artist Kula, C-U-L-L-A-H. I'm going to have him on thanks to you. He's going to be on, uh, I think, next month, I think, is when I do the interview with him. Okay. Well, he'll fill you in on all the great things he's doing. He just released his, his 15th album, which is just pretty wild. Awesome. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, like, I've been listening to St. Vincent a lot, but that's pretty mainstream. Yeah. So I don't have too many exciting answers for you on that. Okay. Well, Emily, thank you so much for being on Wisconsin Music Podcast. And is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to cover before we let you go? Just the importance of data collection for artists. So getting those email addresses, getting those mobile phone numbers, bonus points, if you can get a postcode from your fans, that's really like the shorthand version of, you know, how to build a sustainable music career, because that's how you communicate with your audience forever. All this other stuff come, come and go, you know, comes and goes. Um, it's like, if you built your music career on MySpace, right? Like social, social media platforms evolve, but that, that, there's a reason why Spotify and Apple Music don't share that data with you. So that is gold and, you know, get as much of it as you can and and take care of it like a child or something, because that's really your retirement plan. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Emily, thanks again for being on the Wisconsin Music Podcast. It was a great interview. Lots of information. Ladies and gentlemen, get her book, listen to her podcast and improve your music career. So once again, thank you, Emily, for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure, Zach. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks to Emily for being on the Wisconsin Music Podcast. I hope all of you were taking notes on all the great advice that Emily laid before you that are available. The book, again, is How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. And that is also the name of her podcast. So check that out as well. You don't want to miss next week's episode with The Periodicals from Milwaukee. Also, don't forget that we have the Friday Music Showcase coming up on, of course, Friday. If you want your music heard on our music showcase, please send an email to wisconsinmusicpodcast at gmail.com with Friday Music Showcase in the subject of the email. If you want to be a guest on the Monday interview portion of the podcast, please fill out the guest request form on the website and look for a follow-up email asking for all your information pertaining to your music. It might land in your junk or spam folder, so check there. Have a great week, everybody. Podcast theme music by Nate Wyckoff of Frequency Farm Recording Studio. Voiceover by Dean Bundy. Syndicated on CWHipHop.com, Wisconsin's online radio hip-hop station. Sponsored by ZTF Studio and Diamond Dave Photography. Wisconsin Music Podcast was created, edited, mixed, and mastered by me, Zach T. Fell of ZTF Studio. 
Have a great week, everybody. See you next time.